So all that being said, those are the announcements. Anybody else have any other announcements? Okay, good. Okay, good. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to read it again. This is the second week we've been in Ephesians 3. Last week, I read all 13 verses, and I don't think I taught even one, okay? And, and today's going to be kind of the exact same message as it was last week, and I don't know why exactly, but somebody needs to hear it again uh, with a little bit different twist on it. And uh, you all know the master of all learning tools is rhyme, rhythm, and repetition. I taught you that. You're welcome. Yeah. Good job. Good job. Here we go. The first time I ever taught you guys that, you're like, uh, uh, rabbits? I don't know. Another R word. I don't know. All right. Here we go. Let's read. And we're going to pray. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Again, if you're just joining us or want to make sure you understand what Paul is saying, he's so excited about what he's just laid down the truth, the doctrine, that we are the zero and that God is the hero, that God's done everything in us, for us, to us, and now through us. And for this reason, Paul's okay being in jail. For this reason, Paul's a prisoner of Jesus. For this reason, Paul can endure all things through Christ who strengthens him. For this reason, Paul then begins to unfold and point to what he calls the mystery of Christ. He says, this is what makes it all worth it in life. This is what makes all the hits and all the hurls and all the downs and the outs and the ins and the wrongs, everything worth it is the mystery of Christ that has been revealed. And God now equips you and I, broken pots, cracked pots, broken vessels, the uttermost and the guttermost, the least of these. He equips us to be those who would be those billboards, those living epistles, those messages, those Twitter posts that reflect his glory, that live for the good of others, and that are committed to growing within. Those three Gs, you could write them down early in your notes if you want to conceptualize what's happening in verses 1 through 13. Paul says, it's all good because I'm growing and because you're going to be benefited with good and because ultimately God's going to get the glory. Let's keep reading. He says it. If indeed, verse two, you heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. There it is. Which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Verse six, here's the mystery that the Gentiles, that's most of us here, maybe even all of us, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. That verse alone requires a double click many, many times. Verse seven, of which this mystery, I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God, which was given to me by the effective working of his power, that verse, by the way, is for all servants, all parents, all coaches, all deacons, all elders, all leaders, all men, and all women, and all children. Did I get everybody? I got everybody. How did he become a minister? It was by the grace of God. That he became a minister at all is by the grace of God. That he would know the mystery of Christ. Oh, 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 the mystery. Oh, 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 oh. The doors have been opened for everybody. The lines have been erased. The walls have been diminished. The bridge has been built. That's good news, we call it. And when you find out the good news, you are obligated, mandatory reporters, that you would tell everyone and all people in some way or some fashion the good news. Oh, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. I don't know it all. I've actually done some real bummer things in my life. And he says, oh, how did I become a minister of this? How did I become an ambassador of Christ? Grace. 
grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. I have no validation in and of myself. I have no worth in and of myself. Paul had plenty and he called it all rubbish. He said, I actually, when he went to comparing himself with others, he unashamedly says, you know what? When we compare ourselves, I'm actually way better than you. It's funny. I've actually done more. I know more. I've been more. I am more, but I don't count any of that. As a matter of fact, it's all rubbish to me. It's all, but the thing that I do count as worthy is that upward call of knowing Christ Jesus. Now in our American society, there are so many of us who want to believe that is true. That my justification, my accreditation, my validation for preaching, for sharing, for knowing, for leading a Sunday school or a life group or telling my parents about the Lord or telling my wife about the Lord or telling my kids about the Lord is because I know everything and I've done everything right. <clears throat> Nobody qualifies then. Nobody. But the grace of God changes everything. It's that one thing that changes all things. And if you're looking for purpose here today in your life, validation in your existence, if you're looking for some sort of redemption in all that you've been through, it is in reflecting the glory of God, the message of Jesus. There is no other offering or service or message that you could give to mankind that would impact so deeply as the message of Jesus Christ. There is no advice, there is no counsel, there is no wisdom that you have to offer the world that is as valuable as just reflecting like the moon does the sun, just get in the way. Put yourself in the position of the sun, receive it. You ever looked at the moon? You ever done that before? Just man, so bright, so intense. The moon's a rock. Okay? There is no light, it has no light, no power, no source, nothing. It's not hot, very cold. It's nothing. It's got a flag on it. That's it. It's footprints. That's it. When you look at it though, you're like, wow, so bright. Why is it so bright? Because the sun is so bright. Can you imagine how bright the sun must be to reflect off of a rock? I mean, I'm just saying it's not the most reflective material in the world. Yet the sun doesn't care. The sun says, hey, just give me a dumb old rock with a bunch of footprints on it. Nothing to offer at all. Just let me, let me shine on you. You know this. You only see the moon when the world's not in the way, right? You know that. Full moon. Well, the moon is full when the earth is out of the way from the sun's direct light. And when the earth gets in the way, when the things of the world get in the way, we find ourselves growing strangely dim. It's so clear. It's so simple. And God says, hey, Paul, can I trust you with this mystery? Can I trust you with this mystery? Can I make, can I change the whole world? Paul, I'd like to write 13 letters of the New Testament through you. Can you handle that? And Paul said, oh yeah, take me down, build me back up by the grace of God. Use my life that I might reflect something that's worthwhile. Paul had already done so much in his life that was in the world's eyes worthwhile. Oh, Paul. And he spits on it, nothing, nothing. But now that I have this message and I just, I, I, I prick your attention early on. Because if you're a Christian here, if you know, if you're a moon here, if you're a reflection here, did you know that's what glory means? Glory literally means to reflect God. The glory of God is just a reflection of who he really is. And when you see creation and you see things and miracles and signs and wonders, it's a reflection, if you would, of the very essence and power of God. And he says, can I just reflect off you? Well, I'm just, I'm kind of dirty. I'm, I got these potholes, these craters in my life. I don't have a lot going for me. He's like, you're not answering my question. Can I reflect off of you? 
can I shine so heavily upon your life that it even illuminates, excuse me, all of your potholes, all of your imperfections, but nonetheless shines so bright. Paul tells us it's by grace that he's been a minister. He tells us a little bit of a story, a little bit. I'll fill in the blanks for you. In verse eight, he says, to me, (laughs) who am less than the least of all the saints. You ever put a business card together for yourself? You're like, what should I call myself? What should I call myself? Paul, less than the least of all the saints. That's his title. That's what he chooses. He actually changes his title a year from now. I'll tell you what he says later. Five years earlier, he had a different title too, a self-made title. He changes, as he gets closer to the sun, okay, his reflection gets brighter of the sun. And it's less and less, it's, it's really grand. It's really grand. As he gets imprisoned more often and beaten and shipwrecked, rejected, reviled, more and more and more, he just gets lower and lower and God gets brighter and brighter. It's, it's cray cray. Look at verse eight. That I, verse, in the, verse eight in the middle, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, man. He's saying, this was given to me and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. I'm gonna say this at the end if I get there. Paul realized, check this out, don't miss this. Verse nine, that I... I'm not going to say it. I'll say it later. Keep keep reading. Verse 10. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and the powers in the heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart in my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Again, use the sandwich model for your study. Paul says, I'm in jail with Jesus for you. It's cool. Because the mystery's been revealed. And by grace, I administer to it. And my goal is that all should be saved. And that even the angels are looking into this. And it's going to work out. It's God's eternal purpose. And now we have access to him boldly. Because of all that, man, don't trip about my trouble. It's all good. Don't freak out about my moon-like condition. Don't worry about what I'm going through. Don't worry about, he would say then, what you're going through. Because God can use what you're going through in order to make you that minister, in order to make you that reflection that in and of yourself realizes, whether you realize it or not, this is true. Once you realize it, it becomes more powerful. But that realizes you have nothing in and of yourself good to offer him at all. Let me say that again. When you realize that you actually have nothing in and of yourself to offer him. It's true whether you realize it or not. We all know it, okay? We're waiting for you to catch up to the party. But, but once you realize it, oh, Lord, I'm actually, the further I go, the more broken I realize I am. The more I learn, the less I know. The, the, the closer I get to you, the crazier you look. You really are infinite and all-knowing and all-powerful, and I'm just a finite peon just a minion. And when you get to that point and you say, Lord, would you send me? Would you use my, my life, all of my stuff, all of my brokenness, all of my insecurities, inadequacies, inconsistencies, irregularities, etc." And then you like Paul today can say, don't worry about my stuff because I'm just a canvas for God to write his story on. I'm just another 
paragraph in God's poema, his poem. I'm just another picture of his, his painting of how God can illustrate his magnificence in the midst of a mess. Have you read the Bible before? Do you realize that it is one mess after another? One great grand mess? Beginning in the very first chapters, chapter three, in the age of innocence, where mankind had its best opportunity to not blow it. And Adam and Eve goes skipping into the woods and blow it. Every story is a mess that allows God to then come in and to say, would you co-op with me? Would you let me overwhelm, redeem, resurrect, rescue, and save? Father, in Jesus' name, now as we've read your word, we pray, Lord, a blessing on this time as we study together as men and women, as young and old, as the kiddos study the gospel with their Sunday school teachers, as the high schoolers are packing up from their retreat, Lord, getting ready to come to church at the eleven. Jesus, we love you, we need you, we pray your mercy upon this time now. May your word go out with power and not return void, but accomplish many things. And may we, your body, your hands and your feet, your lips and your voice, your messengers with your message, may we be equipped for every good work and may we find ourselves fitted together this day in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, verse 1 again starts out, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. And then the whole sandwich, verses 12, one, 2 through 12. For this reason I'm here, therefore don't trip. Verse 13, all this stuff's happening and it's okay because I can see beyond my present situation and I understand what God is doing. In other words, he would say, I'm okay with suffering, growing, and glowing. Now here's the deal. I've said this before, I'll say it again. The entire world is filled with suffering and pain. Every single person. We go through great emotions up and down, don't we? Have you ever had so much joy and emotion, ecstasy and elation that you literally cried out of your eyeballs because you were so happy? Anybody ever laughed until you cried? Raise your hand if you saw the Chewbacca video on Facebook. Okay, the, the woman with the Chewbacca mask. Okay, the rest of you, you have no idea what you're missing. Google it, okay? It's only got 10 million views after two days. It's not that big a deal. And this, anyways, we, we, this emotion, we laugh over stupid stuff and just cry. <laughs> How many of you, though, same eyeballs, same eyeballs, but have suffered so bad? Same eyeballs. The tears come out of the same eyeballs, and there's no laughter, but instead there's just deep gut ache and pain and misery and loss. Oh regret and failure, pain. and uh, We are interesting bodies. We are both made to endure and to experience both emotions. Oh, crazy ecstasy and joy. Deep defeat, sorrow and pain. Amazing that we as God's creation can go to such levels even in moments and in time. Here's the deal. For the Christian, this is actually accepted in the early 50s as a theological doctrinal statement that we are living in what's called the already but not yet reality. That we are already, if we're a Christian, saved, set free, forgiven, accepted, sitting with Jesus in heavenly places, fitted together to be his dwelling place, justified. Already, if you're a Christian, you've begun your eternal life. Woo! Praise the Lord. <laughs> but, but, not yet. It's this tension. 
where we have these great pinnacles and these great achievements in our lives, only to find ourselves dealing with life on a very real, very unfortunate, very messy level immediately. I remember the first time I was put in a leadership position, I was hired to be a manager at this restaurant and it was actually a coffee house and it was owned by Christians, but it was secular in nature. And I was so excited as a young man, I was probably 20, maybe 21, they put me in charge, management position, high five and everybody, this is so sick. What do I do first? Coach, that's my boss, what do I do first? He's like, well, we gotta fire a bunch of people. Here's your first day. And all of a sudden I went from, yeah, I'm in charge to, oh, this stinks, firing people and dealing with all of that and ups and downs. And maybe you're excited. Maybe you're a senior here. You know, one is going to graduate from high school. Woo. Now what? Adulthood. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, ah, jokes on you. <laughs> jokes on you, you know? And we go up and we go down and maybe you're stoked when you get your driver's license, you turn 16, get your car, you know, and yeah, freedom. What else is in your future? Insurance, cops, <laughs> accidents, you know, all that's in your future. Which one is it? It's already, but not yet. And here's the deal. As a, everybody, Christian or non-Christian, is going to go through pain, heartache, suffering, trauma, disappointment. You'll, you'll cause some is the interesting part. You'll, you'll be the the author of it. You ought to be the recipient of it. The difference, though, for Christians is that we suffer, we struggle, we celebrate, and we enjoy all with the reflection purpose, that we might reflect God's goodness and God's glory, God's plan, God's word, even in the midst of your mistakes and other people's mistakes as well. You don't need to raise your hand, but how many of you right now are just, oh, oh, you're just holding out for that day? Maybe that week, possibly even that month, where you don't make any mistakes. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just don't want to blow it. I just want to get up early, read my Bible, and then act like I read my Bible the rest of the day, you know, and go to bed on time and not do stupid stuff. I just, one day, where I don't yell at that person or whatever, or kick that animal or whatever, you know? I don't kick animals, trust me. <laughs> Listen. What if it's even in the midst of your fallen nature, in the midst of your insecurities and your inefficiencies and all the stuff that go against you, that even the Lord says, hey, would you just give that to me too? We're so prideful. We're so prideful. Like, I'll come to the Lord. I will serve in Sunday school. I will come. I will join a life group. I will share about my faith with my coworkers after I do A, B, and C. After I get this figured out in my life. After I finally own a Greek lexicon Bible and understand what that even means. <laughs> after, after, after. Listen, there's always going to be a new after. There's always going to be a new roadblock, a new stumbling point, a new reminder that you're not God, that you're actually not cool, that you're not equipped, that, that you're not anything. You're, you're, really? Can, can you handle this? That, that you're actually ju just, ju ju just, and only a reflection of somebody else. And even everything that you are and do have that, that may be respectable and, and that may be genuine and that may be amazing was given to you by God himself and you were made in his image, not your own. E even anything that you do want to justify and kind of highlight and say, yeah, but what about this, Luke? What, I got this one thing I do right every day. <laughs> even that is, is just God living through you. It's still not you. And when you can figure that out, when you, <laughs> when you can really embrace that, 
then not only will you navigate through your failures well, okay, but you will be available to God at all times, and you'll let him use you, even when you don't feel usable, you don't feel valuable, you don't feel available. It's never, and it never will be about you. Matter of fact, we'll see this in verse 8 as we get there in a few minutes. Read with me verse 2. Actually, no, let's go verse 1. I'm, 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 I'm trying, you guys. I'm really trying to do this right today and teach this verse by verse and figure it out. Look at verse 1 again. I want you to get this, this concept. It'll set you free even as it incarcerates you today. Okay, just made that up. Hopefully I can remember that for the next two services. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Paul didn't let his circumstances that were very real dictate or define who he was. Okay? As a matter of fact, he was indeed a prisoner of Caesar Nero in Rome. That's who he really was a prisoner of. But when he looked at him, he's like, no, that's too dumb. That's too cheap. If I'm a prisoner of Rome and Caesar Nero's household, I'll act like it. I've gone to Lincoln County Jail dozens of times, if not hundreds, to visit inmates. And when I visit inmates in there, one of the things I remind the Christians that I visit, I say, just buy it. Most of all, you need to not define yourself by the Lincoln County Jail standards, by this orange jumpsuit, by your wristband, by your outfit. That's not what defines you. You're a Christian. You're a missionary. You're a son or a woman, of, a daughter of God. And don't let your surroundings, because in that environment, it's very easy to find yourself acting like a prisoner in the Lincoln County Jail system. So too in your life, there are situations that you are tempted right now to let define or constrain you because they're holding you back. They're in the way. You've got a jumpsuit around you. Maybe it's something you've done or something other people have done or maybe something society has ordered for you. Oh, now that I'm born this way or in this area or this has happened, now I can't because I'm here. Listen, Paul couldn't change his circumstances, but instead he chose to look above them. He says, you know who I'm really a prisoner of? It's more fun than being a prisoner of Rome and Caesar's household. I'm actually a prisoner of Jesus. I'm actually linked and shackled to him while here. And as a matter of fact, no matter where I go, that's what defines me. This will change everything for you. Most of you won't go to, some will, most of you won't go to Lincoln County Jail and be incarcerated. <laughs> right? That's the goal, kind of the big E on the chart. Don't go to jail, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Welcome to South Beach. But you will find yourself, ah, stuck to and struck by situations that are outside of your control. Why? What if God says, hey, can I use you in that environment? Hey, Paul, instead of identifying yourself as a prisoner of Rome, how about you do all things, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do or wherever you bound, you do all unto the glory, reflection of God. In, in other words, right now, you are also bound and defined by your circumstances. Whether you're married, you're bound to your marriage, good or bad or indifferent, you're bound to it. Whether you're single, you're bound to your singleness, good or bad or indifferent. That's what defines you and possibly constrains you. Maybe it's your parenting. You've got kids and too many of them. Maybe it's your unkids. You don't have any and not enough of them. And you're constrained and confined to that. Maybe you're disabled or injured, or maybe you have an illness or something that's on you and you're constrained or confined by it according to society. Or, or even in the midst of your situation, you could say, you know what? That's not very fun to be confined or constrained by that. I am instead going to be confined and constrained and connected to Christ in my situation, reflecting the glory of God. In other words, if you're a parent here, you probably are making the mistake of being parents for your kids. That's probably your main objective. I'm parents for my kids. What if you changed it today and said, I'm going to be a parent for Jesus? 
That's, my, that's what defines me and constrains me. I'm a parent. I'm actually not going to be a parent for my kids. If I do it that way, I'll blow it. But if I do it for Jesus, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. I'm constrained to him for this ministry. Maybe in your marriage right now, you're a, a spouse for your spouse. You're going to do it wrong. It's not going to work for you. But if you're a spouse to your spouse for Jesus, if you're an employee working for a boss, <laughs> Uh, it's going to feel like you're an employee working for a boss. You can show up every day and try and find a way to wiggle out and wiggle this and do that and do less and minimize and marginalize and blah, 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 you know, stuff. Or, or, or you could say, you know what? I'm an employee for Jesus and it's awesome. And I show up and I do what I do for Jesus with whether my boss sees it or not. I am not constrained or confined or restricted by my situation. Or maybe you're an employer and you have employees and you think you're an employer for employees. <clears throat> What if you are an employer for Jesus? I do what I do. I take care of my business and my employees, and I take care of my staff, and I take care of my friends. It will change everything. Right now, what is constraining you? What's that one thing? And those things I just mentioned, by the way, are very different than a Roman prison, okay? A spouse, parenting, having a job, okay, you know what I'm saying? Okay. Paul was able to look at a situation far worse than yours, trust me, and say, yeah, I don't let that mess with me. I'm here for Jesus. I'm here for Jesus. You think the inmates around Paul liked him? You, you, you think the guards liked him? Do you think Paul was a messy prisoner? You think he went in there and just trashed the place? Ugh, Rome, whatever. You think he was that guy? Or you think he was very respected? You think the guards loved him? What about our man Jojo? Remember Jojo? Joseph? When he, when he was in prison, in prison? Remember when he was in prison, the, the captain of the prisoner guard? The, the captain of the guard said, hey, you know what? I'm kind of overwhelmed. Can I just, can you be in charge too with me? Can you run things a little bit? I kind of like you. There's, for some reason, you, you have this higher standard. It's almost as if you're not a prisoner of the Egyptian guards. It's almost like you have a call on your life. It's almost as if you have a vision, a, a dream of some sort over you. It's like you're reflecting that. It's, that's almost what it's like. Here's the keys. And in that, he reflected God's glory and God was able to use that. It seems... Too easy, too good to be true. I would say it this way also. It's not going to change this idea, your physical circumstances. You're still going to be an employee. You're still going to be an employer. You're still going to be a spouse. You're still going to be a parent. Okay? It's, not going to, it's not going to end in that way. It shouldn't end in that way. But the way you do it and the why you do it can change drastically. And, and you can serve God even in the midst of of the unfairness. Do you, as cool as I make Paul sound like he was in jail, do you ever still think it was awesome? I love it here. Three hots in a cot. It's awesome. No, no. He made it great. It never was great. It never was great. He made it great though, through Jesus Christ. He chose to not let that define his situation. It's, it's called tension. The already but not yet, where, where you understand that God is doing something bigger in the midst of your situation, and he's not going to go on your terms. This happened in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Remember Acts chapter 1? I read it at the beginning of the worship service. In Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 6, the disciples asked Jesus a question. They say, Jesus, we're saved now. 
reflecting your glory. It's awesome. Selfie. It's awesome. And they ask Jesus. They're, they're just so pragmatic and they're thinking, okay, obviously you died. That was scary. Had us going for three days. Don't ever do that again. <laughs> Read the book. And he rose from the dead. They're like, oh my gosh, that was nuts. That was a good one. And anyways, for 40 days, he walked with them, took them out to the edge of Jerusalem. They thought to themselves, this is it. Finally. And Jesus said, not yet. It's the already. Finally, but not yet. They asked Jesus, are you going to at this time now restore Jerusalem to its glory? Rome's here with its thumb in our eyes. You got to deliver us, bro. Political rescue. You've done the spiritual part. Hurrah, we're cool with that. Now do something more practically. And Jesus with his great confidence that it's not for you to know the signs and the seasons and the times that the Father's put into his hands, but... He did tell them what they should be about. You shall be my witnesses. You shall be my reflection. You shall receive power. You shall endure hardship. You shall go into the highways and the byways and the utters and the gutters and everywhere and all around and you shall let people see my glory in your life. They wanted everything to get right. They wanted everything to get radical. They wanted everything to get fixed. You and I, do. we're the same. We're the same frame. You wake up, Lord, I need that to get better. And God says, well, how about you let that make you better? It's not gonna get better but I can let it make you get better. You have two choices. You can either get better or bitter. That's your choices in everything. Whether it's something heinous and something horrible that is handed to you by the deck of cards of life, it's gonna happen. Everybody's gonna get their low hands. Everybody's gonna hurt. REM. Everybody hurts. Whatever. (laughs) Right? Sorry. Keep reading. Hmm. I just, I need you to get this. It's just, a, it's just a, a, a choice to co-op with the Lord. Jesus knew full well what was going on in Jerusalem when the boys said, is it, is it time? 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 Restoration. You can do it, Jesus. I, I, I've seen you do it. Don't you have the power? You have the power, don't you? Yeah. Have the power. Can't you do it? Can you do it now? Please, please, pretty please. We're all saying please, please, you know. No. You be witnesses in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the storm. And Paul here is in jail and he says, oh, this is perfect. This is an opportunity for me to shine and reflect God's glory. Now that I've got some downtime, I can write the Bible, a little time to think, a little time to redeem my situation. Let me just ask you this. What's your whole goal? Your whole goal is to get all you can, can all you get, and then sit on the can. <laughs> Careful. Might be. Paul's whole goal was to serve Jesus and his fame. Now, if this is your whole goal, it is to glorify God, to, 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 good, to do good for others, and to grow yourself everything's gonna be served up for you in that fashion to help you get there, whether you cry tears of joy or whether you cry tears of pain. Your pain, your joy, all of it can help accomplish those three Gs for the good of others. Can somebody see me? Can somebody glean from this through Cancer Awareness Month, through divorce care every Thursday night here at the church? Can someone glean from my tears? Yes, they can. And could I possibly grow 
there something in me that could change? Could I change my outlook on how I see myself? And Paul changes his self-title multiple times. Could I grow? Yeah, you can grow through this. And, and is there a way that in this mess, this rocky moon-like state, I can reflect God's glory? Can others find good? Can I grow and can God get the glory? If that's your goal, life's awesome then. Just go with those three G's this week. Oh, okay, this happened. How, how can I reflect God's glory? How can I grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus? And how can this maybe serve in the future for somebody else's good? And I'll just ask that question right at the front end. What have you been through? What, what have you suffered in? What have you, what have you experienced? You need to believe that it's not just for you to go through it arbitrarily and unnecessarily. But God wants to give your voice, your story, greater credibility and availability for somebody else. When you've walked through the fire, when you've gone down the road, when you know the alleys and the valleys, and then God, who is the master craftsman, says, now I'm going to use you now, okay, to help. Your path is going to intersect with somebody. And somebody's going to have gone through the same thing. It's going to be a miracle. And I'm going to grow you, and it's going to be good for them. And guess who's going to get the glory? Now, I say that to a world that is guaranteed pain, okay, and trauma and drama, guaranteed. But if you don't know Jesus, and if you don't know the book, and if you choose not to co-op with him and let the world get in the way, then all of it will be wasted. And it will be like an eclipse, and there will be no glory, there'll be no growth, and there'll be no good. It's pain regardless. You can either get better or you can get bitter. Paul's whole entire goal was is that he would glorify God. I would just say it this way. When you meet Jesus, you end up living for Jesus. Really. Did you know that Paul used to hate Jesus and hate Gentiles until he met him? Okay, I just need you to, don't ever forget that. Okay. Paul wasn't just fishing one day and got called by the rabbi Jesus to be a fisher of men. That wasn't the case. Instead, Paul was a murderer out to kill Gentiles and out to kill Jesus. And Jesus met him and had a come to Jesus moment, you know, kind of a, hey, right here, eyes right here. <laughs> and he got saved, whoa, pushed off his horse, blinded three days, fasting, praying, baptized, saved, set on fire. As a matter of fact, look at verse two, because I'm getting behind have, we, have I tried to get you to look at verse two before? Yes, I have. You guys keep stalling. Verse two, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. Stop right there, eyes up here. He infers this question. I am a prisoner and it's all good. It's for you and it's with Jesus. If you heard of the dispensation that was given to me for you, it's inferred that they'd heard. You know what I'm saying? They'd, all the people had heard of this dispensation. That's a period of time known as the age of grace. This mystery had been given to Paul and his life had been radically changed. He was Saul the murderer. Now he's Paul the pastor. Life changed moment. Everything different. And he said, he reminds them as he's about to coach them. Remember, remember what you've heard about me. It's kind of like this. There's no real other explanation that my life has been changed upside down. And now what I do is for him and his glory. And it's obvious to everyone around you. Let me just say it this way. When you meet Jesus, you end up living for Jesus and everybody sees it. Everybody knows it. It's just the way it is. He infers that question. You guys have heard my story, right? Everyone had heard about Paul. Here's just a simple question I would ask you. Is Jesus' story in your life evident to the people around you. Let me just 
pull it even nearer. Is Jesus' story in your life evident to you? Do, do you know it? Is there a time where you were renegade and rebel? And then, and then but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with him. By grace we've been saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And now we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared before and for us to walk in. And that's your story. I would say it this way. If you don't know your salvation story, you might not have a salvation I don't know. But, but if there was a time where you were wayward, wandering, rebel heart, and then God did something. Paul just says, yes, you all, you all heard my story, right? Like it's famous. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. And some people are less mm, famous in their wanderings and rebelness. And so your story might not hit the headlines. But I would just say it simply. Does everyone around you know? Oh, yeah, they're totally different. I've never known them any different. They've always been different since I've met them. They're just a weird Jesus freak, SBC hoodie wearing weirdo, freak weirdo thing, person, hate him. I've had, you, you, you put off that if, if, if you are indeed in Christ. The Bible says to the lost where the smell of death. I'm pretty sure that's not good. <laughs> and to the saved where the smell of life. Like, oh. you ever had somebody like in an airport Maybe see you with your Bible or, or in some other place where you don't know anybody, but they, they notice some, some way that you're a Christian and they just come up to you and smile so big, so happy. It's the aroma of Christ mingling together. Paul, he said, if you've heard, I just would say it this simple. When Jesus changes you from the inside out, everyone can see it. People notice it, business colleagues, friends, family, spouses, kids. You should notice it first and foremost though, okay? What if God right now is wanting to do a work in your heart like he did in Paul's that would be so changeable and so noticeable? What if he wants right now? Do you realize that for Paul to go from hating Christ and hating Gentiles was not like a self-help nine-step program he saw late at night? It was a true miracle moment. Do you realize that? For Paul to be changed. So don't get all freaked out and say, oh, I got to make sure my testimony's known. I got to live better and be more righteous. Listen, ask God to do a deeper work. Ask God to turn you inside out. Paul had hatred for a social group, for a minority group, hatred, murder. And now all of a sudden he's like, I'm in jail for them. <laughs> That's so legit. I'm going to die for them. <laughs> Let me just ask you a simple question. Is there anybody right now you don't like, you're mad at, you're disinterested in, you're bummed out about, you're over with, maybe even somebody you're living with or married to or somebody that is in, in authority over you. You know, that, listen, what if you were to today say, God, would you, would you radically change my heart for the witness of Christ? Paul, okay, went into Gentile territory. <laughs> Way bigger than whatever you're trying to get over. Way bigger. He lost everything because of this. He lost everything. His comfort, his family, his home, his job, his reputation, his health, his body, his life. It's a real deal. Because instead of getting bitter by life, which it'll do, it'll do to you, it's not, it's not hard, he, he decided to let the same circumstances that we all go through make him better. Because he was not shackled to or confined by his situation, but instead it was Christ. And he said, oh, you're good, my growth, God's glory. Let's do this. Look at verses three through five. 
He said, he goes on to say what was given to him, how that by revelation, he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Stop right there, eyes up here. Um, Paul is saying what I know has been revealed to me and not just me, but the holy apostles and the prophets. And it was a mystery at one time and is now not. It was a revelation. And that in tandem with the teachings of Christ, the revelation that he now feeds us into, verse 6, which is Gentiles and Jews commingling with Christ. Christ taking the whole world. Jews and Gentiles is everybody, by the way. All black, all white, all Hispanic, all other, all everywhere, all Filipino, all islanders, all the people, all men, all women, all slave, all free, all barbarian, all Scythian, all everything, all everybody. That's the mystery. But when he says about this revelation, I just need you to get this concept. He says, because some of you might argue, well, how can I trust the Bible? How can I trust the Bible? How can I trust the revelation? How can I trust the Bible? If it were not trustworthy, okay, if it were a lie, okay, let's just take the disciples, for example, the, the, the 11, okay? One, one died of his own volition, uh, Judas, but let's take the 11 who were with Jesus when he gave them the same revelation, when they received that revelation, they then perpetuated it. They told everyone about it. And they lost everything because of it. And they lost their families, their jobs, their health, eventually their lives. Not just normally, but brutally. And if it were made up, let's just say it were a hoax, like some of the critics, some of the naysayers say. Like, it's just made up. There's no, there's no existence. There's no evidence, which is totally not true. And if they were to say, it's just made up. Listen, if it were not true, there would be at least one, just one. There would actually be three or four or 10 or 20 or 50, but at least one, There's at least one. Or there would be hundreds, but there would be at least one. There would be actually more, but there would be at least one. Just one, all we need is one. One of the 11 to say, okay, before you saw me in half the long way, let me just go ahead and spill the beans, okay? Jesus' body is buried over here in Galilee. We got him all hidden. It's a big hoax. You killed him. He never rose from the dead. It was a ghost. We got the, you know, the... one would come forth, but instead... None of the 11, none of the 120, none of the 3,000, none of the eyewitnesses, none of them said it's actually made up and a lie. All of them concurred, eyewitnesses in that day. Now, this is actually so legit. It changed me from the inside. It actually changed everything, healed me, and gave me the confidence and boldness to now suffer the flame, suffer the boiling oil, suffer beheading, suffer being pushed off cliffs, suffer crucifixion, suffer crucifixion upside down, suffer crucifixion and impaling, suffer being filleted alive, suffer being sawed in half the long way, suffer being in half, sawed in half the short way, suffer all the ways. And Paul here is one of them saying, hey, 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 this revelation was given to me. What did it get you? Riches and wealth? Why are you doing this, Paul? Because it's true. Yeah. It's because it's true. Well, it's got to be patting your pocket a little bit. Uh, no, I've been shipwrecked three times, beaten 39 uh, stripes five times. I've lost my family, my wife, lost everything, my heritage, my health. I'll die young. I'll die alone. I'll rot in prison for a lie. No, for the absolute truth, for the revelation that was a mystery and is no longer a mystery. Did you know that when Peter was crucified, he was crucified upside down by his own request. They were going to crucify him. He said, don't, don't do me upright. That's how Jesus died. Put me upside down. Like, I don't want to, that's, no, upside down. But before they did that, they killed his wife. And when his wife was being killed, he looked at his wife and he said, woman, 
Behold your God. Look to your God. Endure this. If it were a hoax, okay, right about then you'd be recanting. Oh, we made it up. Oh, the revelation. Paul says this revelation was given to me. Verse six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. This message of Jesus is unlike any other messages in the world. All lines of class, race, worth, wealth are erased in Christ. There are no lines. There are no divisions. I'll tell you what, if we need somebody for president, it's Jesus, okay? I'm just, I'm telling you what, you want something to get right? It's Jesus Christ. I should have wrote him in on the ballot. Anyways. I think I left it blank, just so you know. Anyways, shouldn't even go there. I didn't go there. Verse seven, of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. Paul took what he went through. Listen, he took what he went through and he now lives for the sake of others and the glory of God. And for those of you who've suffered, you have that greater voice and credibility. And I would just say, don't waste your pain. Did you know that pain is, is it stinks? Hello? Okay, I'm not trying to be a weirdo. Pain stinks. I don't care what it is. Don't waste it. Don't waste the pain. Learn, learn the lesson. Grow from it. Like, grow. Get, get something figured out. My pastor taught me something, that if you pass the test, then the test will pass. What are you being tested in right now? Learn something. Don't waste it. But don't just internalize it. Look for ways to then put it into other people's lives. Look at verse 7 again. Of which I became a minister. A minister is somebody who then reciprocates. Oh, man, I've been, th- this revelation I got. This thing that I received. Well, did you lose anything? Everything. <laughs> I'm, I'm different. I don't even have the same name. I'm altogether different. What are you going to do about it? Help people. I'm going to grow. I'm going to help people. Lost my family. I'm going to find other people that are losing their family. And I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to bless them. I, oh, I got lost my health. Got beat up. Got rejected. I'm going to find other people that are getting beat up, rejected, losing their health. Oh, I lost my job, lost my whole identity. Oh, I'll find other people then and not waste my pain. What if God gave you pain in order to bring healing to somebody else? You ever been in the same room with somebody else who you've been through the same things they've been through, whether bankruptcy, divorce, a bad diagnosis from a doctor? You just be, you just, it's, it's called the ministry of withness, where you're just with people. You don't have to say anything, you're just with them. It's really, really healing as you are with people, I'll tell you what, when you figure this out and you take your story, your, everyone's got a story. Everyone's got pain. Everyone's got disappointment. Everyone's made mistakes. See, Paul is both the recipient of pain and also the reciprocator of pain. He's done it both. He's murdered people. Did you know that Paul, for his whole entire ministry, had to deal with, this only comes up one time in the latter portion of the book of Acts, in the late, late chapters, 26, 27, somewhere around there. Only once does he ever expel the truth that he, with violence, forced Christians to deny Christ. Now, how does that look? Foot on throat, knife on kid's throat, deny Christ. Do it. Making Christians that he would later on become. And he had to think to himself, what an idiot. What a, what a dummy. Whoops. Matter of fact, one of my favorite stories is the story right around Acts 24, 25, 26, where Paul comes to Caesarea in the upper region of Israel. And he's been on a long journey. And he comes back and they need lodging that night. And so he knocks on the door. 
He's with his buddies on his way to Jerusalem where he'll be arrested and imprisoned right here. And as he knocks on the door, guess who opens the door? Phil, Pastor Phil. Pastor Phil, Philip, Philip opens the door and he sees Paul for the first time in 17 years. The last time he'd seen Paul, do you know what Paul was doing? Overseeing and orchestrating the murder of Stephen right in front of Phil's eyes. And here this murderer held the jackets of the ones who were stoning and killing Stephen and Phil fled to Samaria, became a missionary all the way in Caesarea. And now long story short, Pastor Paul's totally different. And Pastor Paul says, can I stay at your house, Phil? And don't even think for a second there wasn't some tears of great joy, great devastation, and great healing. Sorry I killed your best friend. I'm a new man, though, in Christ. It's not me. This grace that was given to me. I'm now a minister. I'm now a minister of the same message. I'll tell you what. You know what the great leaders are? People who've made mistakes. They've had to work, and they've suffered greatly. Real people. Like Paul. Paul. God let him make those mistakes. You realize that? God let him put his boot on the necks of Christians. God let him orchestrate and oversee the murder of Stephen. In order to season him, to take him lower, to, to be a minister. And the leaders, okay, in our community and in our church who are great are the ones who've made mistakes, who've suffered greatly, and who now share Christ and what you've been through. I guarantee you, all of our life group leaders, all of our hosts, okay, the leaders, the ones who step up and say, yeah, I'll do that, I'll do that. The, the hosts, the leaders, the members, the Sunday school teachers, the staff, Larry the bus driver, the volunteers at Young Life, all the leaders, everyone who just steps up and says, yeah, I'll do something. The people who show up at the Converge service at the high school, hundreds and hundreds of volunteers setting up. Christmas Eve services, Hope in the Park, starting July 20th, where we go and minister. Why? Because we're know-it-alls? <laughs> no, but we know the one who has it all figured out. And actually, I've got a couple holes in my story, a couple holes in my life, which actually make my voice more valuable, more relevant. The ones who are leaders are the ones who go into the jail and serve to the musicians on stage that aren't perfect, the tech crew in the back, the teachers in the Lincoln County School District, the people who pray for this town, pray for other churches, pray for this a revival to happen. What are you going through right now? Guess what? It's not just about you. Let that just trip you out a little bit. You think it is because that's all you think about, and that's fine. I get it. I understand. Okay, God's bigger than that, though. God's like, hey, it's actually not about you. This is actually going to make sense. This is actually going to be used. This is actually going to be part. You grow. Do it. You be different. Do it. Okay? But look to, look, look to be good for somebody else. Today, maybe. Even just say, Lord, I'm willing to be used for the good of somebody else. I'm not going to do anything about it. Say that today. Tell the Lord you're not going to make stuff up. You're not going to go canvas your neighborhood. 
You're, not gonna, you're just going to make avail yourself. Lord, would you make my story for somebody else? Use my pain. Use my pain. Invest it. Let me grow. Yes, I don't want to make the same mistakes. I don't want to be an idiot. But use it for somebody else. May they be healed. May they be crazy. And Lord, when people are watching, may there be your glory in your glory alone. Look at verse 7. This is the last verse we're going to end on. He says, Of which I became a minister, according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. It is all his worth, not yours. Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. There is not one man or one woman who is worth more than any other man or woman on God's scale. Not one. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. He doesn't grade on the curb. It's a pass, no pass kind of deal. And all of us get a no pass, except for grace. Grace comes in. Oh, you get a pass. Come in. You get the riches. You're a co-heir. You're a servant. You're an ambassador. You get a new name. A change. A purpose to the pain. A purpose to your life. A purpose to tomorrow. We don't know what's happening tomorrow. Okay, if you got a pulse, you got a purpose, though. I'm going to have you bow your heads and close your eyes as the worship team comes up. Father, in Jesus' name, now we take your word and we apply it to our hearts that are beating with real blood. And we also take your word, Lord, and apply it to our spiritual hearts that are beating with your blood. And we ask, God, in Jesus' name, that your word would be to us, Lord, that which we need this day to walk the path which you've asked us to walk, to be the people you are creating us to be. Lord, most of all, we simply submit to you as the master craftsman, the author and finisher, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the great I am, both lion and lamb, both suffering servant and supreme savior. We submit to you and say, God, would you just get radical? Would you take over my boring life? Would you take over all my dumb ideas? Would you take over all my vain strategies? Would you take over all my stupid ambitions? Would you just take all of those and make them all yours and make me a moon that reflects the sun? Make my life valuable for the people I'm in business with right now. Make my life tangible for my kids who are watching right now. Make my life instrumental, Lord, for the community that I am a part of. You've asked me to live my life for your glory, whatever I do. So, Lord, take all my stuff, my stupidity, my hype, my junk, my fears, my personality, my problem, my hang-ups, my hiccups, my hurdles, my setbacks. Take all that, Jesus. And today I avail myself to you. And I say, Lord, use me. Use me for the good of others. Use me to grow. Grow in me something new and use me, Lord, for your glory. If that's you today, if you just want to give it all to God and just let him take your life right where it's at and make it better, not bitter. Would you just raise your hand right now and say, yeah, God, I don't want to be in the steering wheel anymore. I don't want to waste the pain. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste my time. I'm about to go to heaven. It's going to happen before you know it. In the twinkling of an eye, before you know it, it's going to happen. He instructed us to be watching and working at the same time. 
That is living your life, raising your family, paying your bills, doing what you do, working, but also with an attitude of watching. So Lord, we who our hands are raised, right now raise your hand if it's not. Just submit, it's the best decision you'll ever make. Lord, we avail ourselves and we say, would you make a purpose to the pain? We don't like pain, we're gonna be honest, we don't like it, afraid of it, don't want more of it, want less of it, that's just the way it is. But Father knows best. So Jesus, our hands are up and we'd say, just make us, make us a moon, make us available. We trust you in all things, Jesus. We give you our lives. We truly do. Revive us and revive this town. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, would you all stand with me? And let us celebrate together the table of communion, the broken body of Christ, the spilled blood of our Savior for you and for me, which secures all things. Celebrate. When you're ready, the tables are open. Come down the center aisles, back out the side aisles to your chairs. People to pray for you on my right and left during this time as well. The tables are open.